You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles, to grab those and turn with me to Mark chapter 16 today. I want to just remind you that after our service, we do have an Easter egg hunt for the kiddos from uh, young kids all the way up to age 12, and that's going to be in the field that is right to the west of us here. It's, so after that, make sure your kids grab their baskets and go out to chase down some eggs and find out what's in those. And then we also have a photo booth outside, out in the foyer as well, and just so thankful for you guys being here this morning. As we celebrate Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. Well, again, we're going to be in Mark 16. We're going to read the first seven verses. If you don't have a Bible, do not worry. The verses will be on the screen behind me, so you can read along with me there. Picking up there in verse 1 of Mark chapter 16. It says, Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. Say it with me. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. Pray with me, if you will, as we have just read God's word. Father, I thank you so much for this day. Lord, just what you're doing here. Lord, as we have the ability to come and to celebrate to worship you, Lord, here on what is the greatest day in the world. This day where we celebrate the fact that you made a way, Lord, you sealed that way for us to have access to you and a relationship with you, Lord. That which we cannot find on our own, which we could not merit in our works or our own righteousness, Jesus, you made that way for us. And we are here today to celebrate that, to rejoice in that, and to respond to that. And so, Lord, as we have read your word, I pray that now as we look at it briefly, that, God, you would speak to us that you would lead us and you would guide us into the truth that your word displays for us. And God, we would leave here, Lord, knowing you. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, we're reminded of our relationship with you. But either way today, Lord, we pray that we would know you and walk with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, thanking you that we can do that. In your name, Lord. Amen. 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 Well, it goes without saying that today is a day of significance for all of us who are here. None of us escape the significance of this day, no matter what your relationship with the Lord may be right now. You may be here today and you are a Christian. You have been walking with the Lord in a relationship with him for some time. It's a significant day for you. You may be here today and you don't have a relationship with the Lord. What I'm talking about up here, what we've been singing about, you either don't know about, you maybe are curious about, perhaps you're skeptical about, perhaps your mom drug you here today, so that's why you're sitting here. But still today is a significant day for you just as much as it is for me and for everyone else here. You see, today is the day that Jesus rose from the dead making a way for us all to have a relationship with him through salvation that he bought on the cross. 
And as he bought that salvation for us, he made a way for us to have an escape from what we were born into, and that is death and separation. And I want you to understand today, no matter where you find yourself today in relationship to the Lord, I want you to know, first and foremost, that God loves you. God loves you. God loves me. God loves us. God loves the whole world. And that is what made Easter possible in the first place. That is what made Easter even a thing in the first place because God's radical love decided to look on humanity, see the separation, and say, you know what? That's not what needs to be. And through God's great love, what he did, what we see in John chapter 3, verse 16, you probably know the verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves you so much so that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die. And it is Jesus being dead and buried. That is where the women we open up with in Mark chapter 16, verse 1, find themselves expecting to see as they walk to a tomb that is sealed there. You see, as they're walking to that tomb early that morning, these women who have been faithful to Jesus through much of his life, they're going there expecting to see Jesus lying in that tomb. Just a few days prior to that, he had died. He had died on a cross. And we know from the previous chapter of Mark, we read it this past Friday as we were celebrating and contemplating the cross on Good Friday. We also know from the other accounts of the gospel what we see is that Jesus, as he died, he then was taken down from the cross and a man named Joseph and another man named Nicodemus, they requested of his body. They went to Pilate, the governor of Rome, who had carried out the, the, the command to execute Jesus. And they said, can we have his body that we may bury it in this tomb? And what they did is they took him down and the Bible says that it was the day before the Sabbath. And so they took him down quickly. They wrapped him in fresh white linen with spices. They anointed his body, and then they laid him in Joseph's tomb that he had purchased for himself, but yet lent to Jesus. And I do say lent to Jesus. But the work that they would have done quickly would have been okay, but maybe not what needed to be for the burial to last. And so that's why these women are on their way. They're coming now to anoint Jesus' body with more spices, as was customary in those days, so as to prevent odor from the decaying corpse to be too strong. And there was a problem that they had. There was an issue that they faced in the form of a two-ton stone that was there sealing the tomb. You see, the tomb that Jesus was laid in after his death, it was a, a, an opening that was carved into the side of a hill, a rocky mountain. And as it would have opened up, there would have been room enough for a bed, maybe two, really a bench, if you will, to lay the body on. And since Joseph was a rich man, the Bible tells us, he would have had a stone. And we know from the Bible that that stone was one that was round, that could be rolled into place. It wasn't a block that was just kind of set up against it. It was a stone that was rolled. And this stone would have been rolled over, over the opening of the tomb into sort of a little depression into the ground so as to keep it from continuing to roll or to roll backwards. They're sealing the tomb and keeping the corpse preserved inside. What's more is these women faced another issue. They faced in a society that gave women no rights, Roman guards that had been set there as the tomb had been sealed not only by a stone but by the Roman governments. 
There, as, as the religious leaders had heard of Jesus claiming resurrection, what they did is they went to Pilate. They said, hey, his disciples are claiming that he's going to raise from the dead. So let's make the tomb secure so as to prevent any of them from coming, robbing his body. And so trying to spread the lie that he's alive. Pilate told them to go and make it as secure as they could. And so he did, placing soldiers and a seal there over that tomb. And it is this dilemma that these women are discussing as they walk on the road to go and see the body of Jesus and tend to it. In verse 3, it's recorded them saying, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? Whether, again, it was the weight of the stone itself or the fact that these three women were women in a society that didn't give them the time of day, they are discussing amongst themselves how they're going to get the tomb open, how they're going to gain access to the one they love so much that had been separated from them by death and now by a sealed tomb. But verse 4, you can imagine the emotion they must have felt there as they see the tomb no longer sealed. What does it say? It says, but when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away for it was very large. And no doubt in that moment, there was shock. No doubt in that moment, there may have been some panic, some curiosity that was sparked, a glimmer of hopeful excitement or fear for what could have happened. Perhaps it wasn't the disciples that they needed to worry about. Perhaps there was somebody else that they needed to worry about that was going to come in and there steal the body of their beloved Savior. All kinds of emotions, no doubt, flooded into their brains and into their hearts because they saw Jesus die. The two Marys that are there saw Jesus put in the tomb. Guards shut and seal the tomb where they were standing. Jesus, they knew, was dead. But there before their eyes, the tomb was open. And the question that the women had about how they were going to remove the stone was answered to their amazement as they there saw the tomb open. And then the astonishment continued to grow as then they walked into the tomb. And instead of a dead corpse, what they find is a messenger, a young man who's sitting there clothed in long robes, who gives them the greatest news that anyone could ever receive ever. He is risen. He is not here. You see, their greatest concern of that moment, of that morning as they were walking, was answered by the tomb being opened. And then it was quickly overshadowed and forgotten by the fact that they are standing in a tomb, not with a dead man, but with a messenger from the Lord telling of a risen, victorious Savior. And I don't know all of you in this room, nor do I know where you come from or what you came in here with today, but what I do know is that we all have concerns. What I do know is that we all have concerns. What I know is that we as people have concerns in this world that are personal, things that we deal with inside, things that we deal with that maybe we share with a select few, but that we wrestle with. We have concerns that we have that are interpersonal, concerns with other people, concerns with the world. We have concerns that are small. We have concerns that are large, concerns that are mundane of the day-to-day nature, and then concerns that are large and life-altering. But can I tell you this morning, this amazing resurrection morning, that no concern you have is greater than the power that we have seen displayed in the empty tomb. Nor is there any concern that you have in your life more crucial than the concern of your eternal destiny. A destiny that you are given a choice about because of the empty tomb. You see, what that empty tomb represents 
is a plan that has been carried out and finished. Because three days prior, Jesus Christ, who was no longer in that tomb, well, he was crucified. He was put on a cross there by nails in his hands and in his feet, and he died there for the sins of the whole world. You see, I don't know if you know this, as you came here today, you came here to worship a great God who loves sinners. Sinners like you and sinners like me. We're all born into sin. We are all born sinners. And that sin separates us from the Lord. We see that explicitly in the word of God. Romans 3, 23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin, Romans 6, 23 tells us, is death. Death and separation that Jesus experienced for us on the cross of Calvary. As he, after living a perfect life, died a criminal's death, they're taking our punishments upon himself. And because of that sacrifice that he made, we have the chance, the choice to be saved, to be forgiven by the finished work of Jesus on the cross that was completed ultimately in the tomb being empty that morning. And he did that because of God's great love for a lost human race. He did that for you, and he did that for me, for all of us. He did that so as to demonstrate God's great love that we see in Romans 5.8 was demonstrated for us while we were yet still sinners as Christ died for us so as to reconcile us to himself. And you may be here today, and you're like, that sounds awesome. And it is. You here who have a relationship with the Lord, you know how awesome that is. And that never stops being awesome. But you may also be here today and you may say, hey, that sounds great. But that also may sound too good to be true to you because you know you. You know who you are. You know that you are unlovable. Or at least that's what you think. You may think today that, yes, Jesus dying for the world is great, but he certainly didn't die for me. There's no way that he died for someone as unlovable as I am. I know what I've done. I know what I've said. I know where I've been. And Jesus may have died for me, but that love, man, I may be too far from it. And what I would say to that is what we see there in verse 7, as the witness of a risen Savior is given there to those women to go and to tell Jesus' disciples. What does it say again? He said to them, but go, tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. These women who are standing here in the empty tomb are told to go and tell the disciples that Jesus was going to meet them in Galilee. Jesus, as he walked in his earthly ministry, he had 12 close followers. He had many who flocked around him. He had a multitude that followed him. He had many followers that were close to him, but he had 12 that shared life with him. He had 12 that were by his side, that traveled with him, walked with him, learned from him, ate with him, cried with him, fought for him in times where they tried to defend the Son of God because that's what they thought they needed to do. 12 men who followed him. One of them is gone, Judas, who had betrayed him. So we're down to 11 now. 11 who had bailed on him in his darkest hour. There as Jesus was preparing to go to the cross, what we see there recorded in the Gospels is he went with his disciples to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there in that moment, we see there Jesus speaking with his heavenly Father. 
And as he's praying, as he's seeking the Lord for strength to move forward with the work that he's going to do on the cross, what we see there is Judas and this cohort of religious leaders and Roman soldiers come and they take him and arrest him. And in that moment, those who had walked with him for three years abandoned him. They ran. And Jesus says, go tell them that I'll meet them in Galilee. Even Peter You know, of the 11 that bailed, or of the 11 that are left, 10 really bailed on him that night. A couple hung on. You had John and you had Peter. And John is the one who hangs on throughout the crucifixion. He's there standing with the mother of Jesus, Mary, there at the cross. And Jesus actually speaks from the cross to him and says, Behold, John, your mother. Behold, woman, your son. There, giving John responsibility to care for his mother as he was going away. John stuck it out, but Peter, who went all the way there to the high priest's court, was let in there with John to see the proceedings of the trial. What we know about Peter is he is the one throughout all of the time that Jesus was walking the earth and he was walking with him. What we know is that Peter, man, he was the man. He was Jesus' closest. And he was the loudest too. He was the loudest saying, Jesus, no matter what these other guys do, no matter if they abandon you, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. They may leave. I'm sticking around. And when the pressure was put on Peter, three distinct times, the last time being from a little girl, he denied and cursed that he ever knew him. Peter, when the pressure was on, denied the Lord, denied that he knew him. And Jesus says to Peter, we see in John, he restores him, that he loves him. And it's here that we see this messenger from the Lord tell these ladies, hey, go tell his disciples, even Peter, that I'm going to meet them in Galilee. Go and tell these guys that have blown it. Go tell these guys that have run away scared. Go tell these guys that are far from me at this moment that, hey, I want to meet them. So as to minister to them, to show my love to them, to walk in relationship with them. This message of the Lord tells these women to go to these men who would have been so easy to write off as unlovable, unforgivable, and undesirable. Jesus says... I want them. This messenger of the Lord says, Jesus will meet them. You see, Jesus wanted them to know that he wanted them to come to him even after they had abandoned him, after they had left him in his most dire moment. Jesus wanted them to come to him because he loved them. Jesus wanted them to come to him because he died for them. And Jesus wants you today to come to him because he loves you, because he died for you. No matter where you're at today, no matter what you have done in any point and part of your life, Jesus loves you and invites you to himself. That is what today is about. Today is about the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and then with the empty tomb. The empty tomb that those women went to that day expecting to see a predicament of getting that stone rolled away, but instead saw that the work was already done. Understand that for you today, Wherever you're at, the work has already been done. All you have to do is come. The work has already been done. All you have to do is accept it. All you have to do is surrender to it and realize that, hey, you are loved that much. 
that the Lord absolutely loves you and desires a relationship with you. That is why He died. That's why He came in the first place. And understand that today, wherever you're at, Jesus loves you. The question for us all is whether or not you will accept that. The question for all of us is whether or not we will take that to heart and apply it to our lives. And again, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you're concerned about today. I don't know what you came in here with. Maybe you came in here today knowing the Lord already. And you're like, I'm here for Easter. I'm here because we dress up nicely and we show up. Now I'm cramped in this little sanctuary. This guy's yelling at me up here about something I already know. Well, understand that Jesus still loves you. And today is a significant day for you because what you do today, how you remember that love, that great love that saved and bought you, reconciled you to Him, that is something you and I are called to live out in this world every single day, not just today. Every single day that we're here, the Lord has called us to live out and celebrate and walk in the finished work of Easter. But for you today here who maybe were drugged here, Maybe this is your once or twice a year to show up because that's what you know you're supposed to do. Understand that today is a great day for you to be here because today is the day you'll hear that God loves you. That God loves you and He desires more than just you being here. He desires your life to, to be surrendered to Him. So much so that He gave His only Son that that would be a possibility for you. For all of us and for the world's. And so today, as we here remember a tomb that is empty, as we here today remember a Savior that died and rose again so as to save us, I pray that we would remember it in a way that is responsive. For you who are saved, who are walking in a relationship with the Lord, glorify the Lord for where we're sitting. Glorify the Lord for our salvation. For you who are here today who maybe don't have that relationship, who aren't walking with the Lord in a relationship, you've never taken that step to say, you know what, I do know that Jesus loves me and I do want to apply that love to my life. Understand that today is a great day for you to find out what that's about. Today's a great day for you to have that conversation. And I want to exhort you today, I want to encourage you today that if you do nothing else today, at least have that conversation with someone about how much Jesus loves you. About how much... God loves you and how Jesus came here for you and how Jesus right now is inviting you into a relationship with him. Here in a moment, we're going to take time to pray. Here in a moment, we're going to take time to continue to sing and worship our great God and Savior. And there's going to be men and women around the sanctuary, many up here who are going to be available for you to talk to. And I want to invite all of us to think about how much God loves us today. How radical that is. And no matter if you today are like, yes, God loves me, or there's no way that God could love me, I want you today to understand that what we see in the Word of God, which is true always and forever, is that God absolutely loves you and wants you to know that today and wants you to walk in that today. And maybe that's the first time you're hearing it. Find someone to learn more about that. Find someone to know more about how much God loves you and how much He desires you to come to Him and to walk with Him in a relationship with Him now and forever into eternity. That's what we see in this tomb. 
that is empty and the stone that is rolled away, a work that's already done, love that is displayed, and an invitation for us to respond. Let's pray.